welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Our Bible reading this morning is three passages from the latter part of the book of Isaiah. Reading first of all from chapter 46. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, or the remnant of the people of Israel. You whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and grey hairs I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. And then across to chapter 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And one verse from chapter 66. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Thanks, John. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Ben, and I am one of the youth pastors here at Cary. Uh, and it's great to come and be with you guys this morning. I don't normally get to see you. If you've seen me before, you'll hear me say this fairly often, uh, that I uh, serve and... No, I serve here, but I attend the Forestdale campus in the mornings, along with my wife, Shelby, who is the beautiful lady in pink down there. She's the chaplain over at Forestdale campus, and uh, we get to spend our Sunday mornings over there, but it's always great to come back here and to share with uh, my first Cary family and to uh, just be with you this morning. A um, little bit about myself, if you haven't uh, met me before, uh, like I said, one of the youth pastors here alongside Nick and Georgia, and uh, we get to run an amazing youth ministry program through this school. Uh, Friday nights are crazy but fun, and we get to just really speak the love of God into a whole bunch of kids that don't know who He is yet, and it's, it's really rewarding, really great. Uh, Shelby is pregnant at the moment, and she is 32 weeks, so we are really excited about today's almost a Mother's Day for us. And uh, so we're just hanging out for the, the last few weeks of that pregnancy, looking forward to July when I get some time off meeting my first kid, which is going to be great. Uh, it's going to be good. Going to be good. Anyone who's been a parent before and knows this feeling of like, you know, don't know what's coming and you're just in this wonderful phase of disillusionment of what it's going to be like, yeah, that's where I am. It's going to be great. My kid's going to come out toilet trained and it's going to feed perfectly from the start. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm under no illusions of grand drama. It's good. But uh, as a non-mother, as someone who obviously is not a mother, never will be a mother, I decided to do a little bit of research on Google about what it means to be a mother, and I found a few quotes that I thought would help us get inside a mother's mindset. I like having conversations with kids. Grown-ups never ask me what my third favorite reptile is. They don't. It's great. Kids are great in that way. They want to know the specifics. Uh, It's not easy being a mother. If it were easy, fathers would do it. I don't know. This is what I'm getting into. At the end of the day, did you let the three-year-old drive the car? No. See, you're a good mum. Oh, good. Dear teenagers, your mum may annoy you now, but there was a time you loved her so much you begged to watch her poop. Remember that. Love, parents. I like that one. 
It's uh, kind of fun to uh, just think about the fun things of being a parent. And, uh, you know, before we get too far, though, I would like to acknowledge a couple of things. I know that today being Mother's Day is difficult for some people, uh, whether it's because you've lost your mother or for some reason you can't be a mother and you long to be. And uh, I just want to say this morning, I just want to recognize you guys might be here in the audience today. And uh, I don't want to try and make this feel uncomfortable for you. So today I'm not actually going to just focus on mothers specifically. But I want to just tap into this idea of the kind of love a mother shows and how that could relate between us and God. So with that in mind, let us get started. It's the love of a mother that everyone can celebrate because uh, something that we all have in common is we all had a mother. At some point, our mother was pregnant with us and we had a mother, obviously. Uh, But a mother's love for us doesn't just appear from nowhere. They have this amazing love, there's a special connection between every mother and their child, but it doesn't just appear out of nowhere. And and the more I've been thinking about this, especially as we start heading towards parenthood, uh, I've been thinking about how much a mother's love is very much a reflection of God's love towards us. And that's what I want to look at today, the maternal aspects of God's love for us. Now, you might be saying, hey, Ben, I know you're a youth pastor, that might make you sound really weird. Don't we call God like he's and him's and use male pronouns? And, and yeah, we do. Uh, but my answer to that goes back to the start of creation, where the Bible says that God made humans in his image. And, and even Ruth, Ruth Graham pointed out once that both humans, male and female, are both made in his image. And so, therefore, when God created male and female, females are half the picture. So, surely they encapsulate something of God in that. So even though we use male pronouns to refer to God, I believe God encompasses both genders in his character. So what are those maternal aspects of God? Those, those nurturing, those comforting, those protecting, unrelating love parts of God. I mean, he's got that warrior um, strength and, and powerful nature, but he also has this nurturing, comforting side as well that, that shows his compassion and his mercy. And mercy is a fun word. As I was preparing this, I came across, if anyone's a Hebrew scholar, please block your ears because I'm going to screw this up. But if you look at the word in Hebrew for mercy that is used throughout the Old Testament, I'm going to try this. Forgive me, my Hebrew is quite rusty. Rahamim. Rahamim. That's the word that means to have mercy on someone or the noun, Raham. Uh, it's a great Hebrew word, but they have a root in Rahem which is the Hebrew word for a particular organ in the human body, the womb. And it's really cool that this idea of mercy comes out of this same word for the womb. And it kind of shows that that mercy and compassion is kind of birthed in the womb. And God uses this metaphor even throughout the Old Testament when he's talking to the Israelites about that relationship that a mother develops with her child. Like, I mean, I'm going to be the dad of this kid, but already Shelby's got this connection with him that... Uh, that I just don't have yet because I haven't physically touched him. She's always talking about how he's punching her in the ribs, and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what that feels like. But it's no wonder that God describes his mercy for us in that kind of way, that it's so protective and nurturing and compassionate, just like a mother's womb. And, and the reason I asked John to read those, those scriptures from Isaiah this morning is, is I mean, there's plenty of, of motherly examples throughout the scriptures, but these particular ones in Isaiah just all have this common theme running through them of God expressing his love to his people in the way that a mother would. Listen to what John read out again in that first passage. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob, all those remnants of the people of Israel, you who I, am, I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Can you see the motherly picture there? Even to your old age and your gray hairs, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue. It's got this beautiful picture 
of what I imagine just like God carrying these people from the time he formed them as a group through the time when they disbanded and even through to today. He is carrying these people in the way that a mother would carry her child through their life. And what we see there is God giving birth to his people, nurturing them through their infancy, loving and sustaining them throughout their existence. It's not the only place God uses motherly language to describe his love. A few chapters later, as John also read out, we see here, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? But even though she might forget, I will not forget you. God declares that his love, like a mother's, but is even greater. That even if you, you could have a, a human frailty and a human, human failing, God's love is going to beat all of that. It's never going to fail. It's never going to disappear. And this is really cool. And so as today, as we think about mothers and the love that they have for us, I want us to try and think about how a mother's love might reflect God's love for each of us. And we're only going to scratch the surface of this. We could be here for days. Uh, but I have three motherly images, three motherly metaphors uh, that I think help me and hopefully will help you as well. Uh, just to sort of see and recognize just three of the ways God's love is, just how, God, how much God's love is for us. Is that cool? First metaphor, that deep nurturing love that a mother has for a newborn. The deep nurturing love that a mother has for her newborn. Now, this might be obvious to people who are already parents, but if you're not a parent, um, you might have experienced this somehow. Um, eight years ago, uh, some good friends of mine had their third child. Uh, it's actually her birthday today. Uh, but I was really close to this family to the point where I was one of the first people that got to come to the hospital to see her. And I had her in my arms, and this was incredible. Um, her dad was off um, with, her, with their first two kids, uh, getting them from, I don't know where they were, but her dad wasn't there. So it was just me, the kid, and the mum. And the mum had to go to the bathroom. So I was left alone in this hospital room, holding this tiny newborn baby, maybe a couple of hours old. And I looked down at her, and, and I was like, this is so weird. Uh, what do I do for a start? Because uh, I wasn't a parent. And I didn't know what to do. But I'm looking at her, and I'm like how come I suddenly have this love for this kid that I'm not even related to and she hasn't even done anything yet? But I'm looking at her going, man, you are incredible. I love you. I'm not even related to you. This is weird. But just this incredible feeling of love that came over me for this young girl just made me suddenly go, I wonder if that's a little bit like how God thinks of us. See, I was delighting in her, and even her parents do as well. They delighted in her before she'd even done anything. I mean, she'd done nothing except grow in the womb and then come out. And wow, that's pretty incredible. But that's all she'd ever done. She'd never impressed anyone. She had never written a dissertation on an amazing topic. She'd never performed in front of millions of people. All she had done was exist. And that was enough. And it makes me go, how much does God love me before I've done anything for him? I mean, God loves us so, so, so much. And it's that, that reflection of the young baby in my arms is just a tiny scratch of the surface of what a mother must feel, which is a tiny scratch on what God must feel for us. He delights in you so much for no reason that you can give him other than he made you and you are his child. He delights in you. Sometimes before I, sometimes I get so busy in stuff and stuff and doing stuff for God and trying to like think, yeah, I'm doing all this great stuff, surely God must love me more. Sometimes I have to stop and pull myself back and get my head out of the sand and go, actually, God loves me already before I've done anything, before I could talk, before I could walk, before my parents even knew I was there in the womb. God loved me and he delights in me and the same is for you as well. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to worry about losing God's love. It's a constant, unchanging, unwavering, reckless and abounding love. How incredible is that? 
that God takes so much delight in us that he would love us before we've done anything. Uh, that, that, that just strikes me so, so deeply to the core. Second metaphor I want to look at is the protective love that a mother has for her child. The protective love a mother has for her child. Mothers are so protective of their children. Don't ever try to get in the way of a mother and her child. That, that is just bad news. Uh, mothers, so often they just put their well-being of their kids above their own, um, sometimes going without themselves so that the kids can actually have what they need. Uh, mothers, they sit by their sick children when they recover. I remember the times I've been in hospital going to the dentist and having those horrible procedures done. Uh, I couldn't have done it as a kid without my mom sitting next to me, apart from the fact she's saying, no, you're not going home, just get in there. Uh, but the, just the protective comfort and love that she had for me and encouraging me through that was, was just amazing. I mean, whenever I was hurt in my childhood, whether, whether I tripped over and hurt myself or whether some bullies at school had been getting to me, uh, my mom was the first person I would ever run to. Uh, and there was just something about crawling into her lap and feeling her, lo- her hugs and her love and being held tight against her that just made mum's lap a safe place, very safe place, unless there was blood involved, at which point there was a handballing off to my dad because my mum can't stand blood. Perhaps that's where I inherit that trait from. Uh, but, you know, mum's lap was such an incredible, safe place. Mothers are so protective of their kids. And throughout Scripture, we find a lot of imagery of God being the same sort of way towards his people, towards us. And there's a lot of imagery comparing God's love to that of a mother bird protecting her children with her wings. In Deuteronomy 32, there's a description of the way God uh, um, looks after his people and and leads them in in such a way like a mother eagle would, in the way that she will kick the birds out of the nest, but she'll get under them and and carry them and catch them if they fall, the way that she'll let them sit on her wings as she moves around and and just looking after them. That's the way God was leading the Israelites, saying, get out, let's do this, but I'll be with you and I'll catch you when you stuff up and, and I'll be leading you along the way. There's also many examples throughout the Psalms of David talking about being safe and secure in the shadow of the wings of God. Uh, Jesus even uses similar imagery in the New Testament when he uh, starts looking out over Jerusalem and, and how much he longed to, to bring all Jerusalem under his wings to, to protect them and keep them safe. But the problem he was facing was the people of Jerusalem refused to draw near to God and so he wasn't able to keep them under there. There is also an analogy in Hosea about um, God being like a mother bear whose cubs have been taken from her and the violence that she would go to to get them back gets a bit violent. But that, that, that same sort of love God has towards his kids, that he wants to protect them and he would do anything to defend them and he would go after, after all sorts of things. So why would God want to compare himself to a mother bird of all things? I mean, chickens, we eat them. Uh, a chicken is such a crazy animal. It just You go anywhere near it and it goes, and flies away. Why would God want to compare himself to that? got a picture of a chicken for you. Now that's not a freak chicken with like 10 legs. That's a picture of a chicken with all her babies underneath her wings. You see when things get scary the chickens, the baby chickens know exactly where to go. They go straight into the wings of their mother because she's so much bigger than them. She's able to protect them. She's able to hide them so that when the predators come they don't know where the chickens are and she can defend them and she might even sacrifice herself to save them. So the chickens know exactly where to go when stuff gets hard, they go straight underneath their mother. I was also reading a story about a duck. Uh, it was about a guy who was uh, living in his neighborhood. There was a small pond nearby. Uh, and there was often ducks around that, that pond, lakey kind of thing. And uh, one year, the ducks had ducklings. 
And he, he noticed that every time anyone came near to try and see the ducklings or maybe feed the ducklings or just get a, get a closer look, the mother duck would usher all the ducklings into the reeds and the bushes to hide them. She wanted to protect them and keep them safe from the potential predators of humans. But on one particular occasion, he noticed something that perplexed him. She was hiding her ducklings in the reeds. And someone was like, I'm just going to go get a better look and wanted to go into the reeds and pull them apart and, and have a closer look at these ducklings. At which point, the mother duck flew away. And he's like, why would this mother duck abandon her kids like that? that? That's just ridiculous. She'd been hiding them. Why would she run away? Until he found out and understood what she was doing. She was trying to be a distraction and, and get the predator to follow her and, and to take the attention off the baby ducklings so that she would sacrifice herself so the ducklings would survive. That's an incredible love that mother duck has for her ducklings. And we can see in that metaphor even the extent God's love went for us that he would send his son to deflect the punishment for us from sin so that we could actually survive the penalty of sin. So like a mother's love, we see in chickens and ducks a protective, self-sacrificing love that God has for us. Like a mother's love, God's love for us is so great that his desire is to sweep us under his arms, under his wings, and to keep us safe and protected. When we're facing the harsh trials of life, things that want to draw us away from God or draw us away from faith or make us think maybe this isn't all it's cracked up to be or wants to distract us, the place we need to run is under the safe arms of God, being wrapped in his protection. And even looking at the mother duck, the the way that Jesus took the punishment for us on the cross, that last passage in Isaiah that John read out for us just strikes me deep here as well. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. God's got this incredible, protective, comforting, caring nature about him towards us. So good. Third metaphor I want to unpack for us this morning. The unconditional love a mother has for her rebellious teenager. The unconditional love a mother has for her rebellious teenager. Now, I'm in no way going to claim that I was an overly rebellious teenager myself, but I wasn't a perfect child either. Uh, Probably my most embarrassing incident through my teen years was I was at school I was trying to impress the popular kids, trying to, you know, they, they don't want you to just say, hey, yeah, you can be our friends. No, you have to prove yourself. And so in doing so, I crossed a few boundaries, crossed a few lines, and I got in trouble. And uh, at the school, the school gave me three detentions. And we're not just talking lunchtime detentions. We're talking about the next level stay back after school detentions. And uh, these detentions are the sort where you end up getting given a bin and you're told, go make the grounds beautiful. Uh, so I'm out there doing that. But to give you a clue of how pathetically goody two-shoes I was as a teenager, uh, I'm out there pulling weeds out of the garden and all these different teachers or parents walking past and going, Ben, that's so good of you to like be just looking after the school like this and pulling weeds. And the embarrassment and the horror of having to actually explain, actually, no, I'm in trouble. I've got a detention. I've got to do this. That was probably part of the punishment that the teachers were trying to give me, actually. But, uh, but that, was, that was really difficult. And the horror that they recoiled in, I was like, whoa. But the hardest part for me was actually having to own up to my parents. And I had to go home and I, I had to show them the school note that the principal had written about what I'd done and, and to show them the detention slips, get them signed and take them back. And I was petrified of what my parents would think, probably more so my dad, scared of what he would say. So I ended up going to my mum first and I sat her down and I confessed to my mum everything I'd done and, and what had happened and how I had these punishments and stuff. And she went a little bit silent, but her reaction was actually amazing as I look back on it. I can't remember the exact words, but it went along the lines of, yeah, you've messed up here big time. And you're going to have to accept the consequences for this, and there will be punishments. But know this, I still love you. And we're going to work together to get you through this. And that blew me away. 
because that was probably the first time in my life I'd realized it was going to be very hard to do something that would break my parents' love for me. I mean, yeah, there was groundings and there was other punishments on top of those detentions, but my parents didn't stop loving me and I, and I didn't change their love towards me. And now what I did was probably relatively quite minor in the scheme of things. It has no lasting consequences on anything. But over the years, I've also been able to watch different parents and, and talk to some of them about people who have had kids that have gone uh, in a different direction to the way they would have intended for their kids, especially Christian parents who have seen their kids walk away from God and church and faith. And the anguish that they have over those kids is just so real and deep. How much they, I remember one mother saying to us, um, how much she would do anything to see her kids come back to God, but she also realized that's a journey they had to take themselves. And that was a really deep hurt for her because she longed to see the best for her child. But even in everything that their child was doing, they still loved them deeply and they longed to see them come back to God. Now, eventually for that person, her kids did come back to God and there was a great resolution to that story. But I can't help but think God's love for us leads him to have that same kind of heart that when we turn our back on God, how much he hurts for us how much he longs for us to turn back to him. Think about the parables Jesus told, the, the story of the lost sheep. He had 100 sheep, one went missing. He didn't just count his losses and go, oh, I still got 99, that's all right. He, he walked away, went and found that one sheep and brought it back into the fold again. Such incredible love that shepherd had for the sheep. Or the, the story of the prodigal son, the, the story of this kid that said, hey, dad, I just want to take all your wealth and, and go spend it now before you're dead. Goes out, squanders it all, ends up with nothing, and is like, what can I do now? And he goes back home and says, Dad, hey, can I just come and maybe work for you so I can have a place to sleep? And his dad is just so loving, and it's just his love never changed for his son that he says, no, I'm going to forgive you and restore you in this. When we're at our complete worst, when we're at our complete rebellion against God, he still loves us. And Paul summed this up so eloquently in Romans 5 when he said, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we'd all shaped up and went, yeah, yeah, we're good, God. We've proved ourselves. We've spent three years not sinning. No, he actually jumped into the middle of our mess and actually took the punishment for us while we were still in it. You don't have to be having a good day to come back to God. Uh, you don't have to try and say, hey, I'm having one of these days where like, oh, I know sin's been creeping in this week. and I'm just going to avoid God because this is really awkward for me to come to him at the moment because there's so much sin. That's just... That's just horrible thinking. That's, that's the wrong way to approach God. Uh, we don't have to prove ourselves to be good before we can come back to Him. That's the moment we just need to run and turn and jump into the wings and jump into God's arms and say, God, I'm sorry. Because He loves you and He was ready to forgive you and to restore you. When I made my mistakes in my childhood, my mom's first response was of love and forgiveness and to help me to overcome those mistakes. And if an earthly mother can act in that way, how do you think God's going to respond? The thing about these three metaphors is that as I think about how much these mothers love their children and how much my own mother loves me, I can only imagine how great God's love is for us, how great His love is for us. We as humans have been made in the image of God. That means we reflect His characteristics. We reflect the things that He has uh, in His own character. He's put them into us as well. Uh, and so God's made mothers in His image. So if a mother's love is merely a reflection of God's love, how much greater is the love of God. Jesus touched on that in Matthew 7 uh, when he was, he said, use the word fathers here, but he was talking to the crowd and said, hey, if your child asks you for food, who of you is going to give him a rock? Like, that's just dumb parenting. And so if we as humans know what dumb parenting looks like and knows what good parenting looks like, and we have a propensity to sin and we're evil and we're just human, how much better do you think God is going to be at this task? 
How much better is God, our loving creator, going to be able to give us good gifts and to love on us than we could ever do it ourselves? So there's only one thing you're going to take away from this this morning. I want it to be this. You are loved by God in ways that a mother's love can only reflect. You are loved by God in ways that a mother's love can only reflect. A mother's love is amazing. It is incredible. I'm looking out here and seeing plenty of mothers that I know, and I know the love you have for your kids, and what you would go through and what you would do for them. It's just a mere reflection of what God would do for you. His delight in you, His nurture and His comfort towards you, His forgiveness to you are very real and present and available to you at this very moment. They're available to you right now. So while we're celebrating Mother's Day, why don't you not, on top of celebrating your mum, why not also be celebrating the love of God that He wants to lavish on you? So, so if you need it today, think about the fact of how much God delights in you as you are right now. If you need it, why don't you run into God's arms and, and find the loving peace and comfort and protection He has for you? And, and if you've been avoiding God because you, you've got this, this sin that you need to deal with, because you think He disapproves of you, why don't you actually overcome that, turn around and actually face God and, and run back into His arms as well? Because that love of God is something that a mother can only reflect. It is incredible. You are loved by God in ways that a mother's love can only reflect. Let's just press into that, hey? We are loved by an incredible, amazing God. These guys are going to come out. We're going to start singing again. And we're going to sing that song, Reckless Love, that we've been singing for a little bit now. And as we sing, I just want you to press into this idea of how much God loves you, how much He wants to delight in you, how much He wants to wrap you in His arms. It's called reckless love, and it can be so flippant to just go, yeah, yeah, reckless love, reckless love. That word reckless just describes a love that just doesn't want to stop, a sort of love that doesn't want to quit, a sort of love that is so abundant and so incredible that it can just overwhelm you. So as we sing this this morning, don't let this be a flippant, let's just sing. Let's actually press into the fact of how much God loves you. I want to pray as we get into that. Father God, um, you are incredible. God, we're celebrating today Mother's Day, celebrating the mothers in our lives, the people who have acted as mothers, the people who have been our mothers. Uh, But God, the love that they have for us can only pale in comparison to the love you have for us. So God, this morning as we think on this, as we start singing about the love you have, God, help us to just catch a glimpse of that. Would you help our hearts to just turn and melt and be just really aware of that this morning as we stop and we pause and reflect on you? God, thank you for that love. Thank you that it is unrelenting. Thank you that it is reckless and chases after us. God, that we can just be with you. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to do anything to make you love us more. God, you just love us as you are. So God, thank you for that. Let us rest in that this morning. Amen.